Well, good morning. You guys are a resilient group. Uh, we proposed to the other pastoral staff, myself and PT, saying, let's move back to 1045. Eventually, it will get cooler. And despite the heat, our people will come out. And our people have come out. And it's great to see families. You know, I, I, I look at my daughter, who is almost three, and she's never she she's not going to remember a lot of some of those transitional phases of going to the very nice programs. Hopefully, we can bring those back after vaccination is ready. But I tell her, Haley, this is church. This is church. The resilience of God's people is that we gather. What you see here, you see servants willing to come out, serving up front. You see a team serving tirelessly trying to troubleshoot tech issues from the back and making sure everything comes through. And you have the people coming out. We will beat the heat together, and we will beat the heat together on ABC at 7 or at 4.30 today as well. And it is a joy to also welcome those of you who are worshiping with us at home. Praise God for technology. You know, I say something that theologically is a little nerdy, but it's so fitting is that God created us to see each other's faces. Do you understand that? That Adam, when he was created, it was to, in some way, see an expression of God's face. And then once sin came in, God's face was covered and veiled. But Moses was able to see God with an unveiled face, at least an expression of God's face, and he came out glowing. And that's just a symbol for us of what it means to be reunited to God. We were not designed to have our faces veiled. That's why you cannot see the human heart, the smile, the warmness. But here's the beauty of it. If you're worshiping online, and if you can just get into a Zoom room and watch this together with some other people, you, can, you don't get to feel the presence physically, but you can see the face unveiled. And if you're worshiping here in person, you don't get to see the face, but you get the presence of the people all around. And in many ways, Paul tells us in Corinthians that we behold God with unveiled faces. And that, that gives us hope that despite the fact that we're wearing a face mask, we get to go before God symbolically and be reunited to him. In many ways, COVID is a reminder to us of sometimes what we take for granted is simply being able to see people's faces in person but this is the beauty of it is that everything about church now being scattered or gathered imperfectly drives us back to the cross now i haven't been able to preach for a month so i got a lot to say so hopefully you guys have brought your lunches and with our covid preaching rotation i get two sermons a month that's it so today i want to preach two sermons to you I'll preach two sermons next week. And so here's what we're going to do. My aim this morning is twofold. Number one, I want to introduce 1 Corinthians and why we as a church as a whole are preaching through 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians talks about a healthy church. Beloved, this is not perfect, but this is the church. This is the church. Parents worshiping with your kids, whether it's at home or here. Your kids, maybe after COVID is done, 
The kids will actually say to you, Mom, do I really have to go to my class? Can I worship with you? Can we have family worship? Really? You want to listen to Pastor Hanley, kids? <laughs> well, no, we're thankful for all of our children's workers and our children's classes, but worshiping as a family, this is church, and this is a healthy church even though it's chaotic. And 1 Corinthians reminds us that, that even though things are shaky, even though there's turmoil in the church, that it can become a healthy church through the gospel, and we'll talk about that. My second aim today is to preach from my heart to you as an English pastor. And I'm going to have to abstract some of this through the themes of 1 Corinthians. I feel that it is important right now that we talk about what it means to have a Christ-centered worldview. And I'm not talking about political clarity, though it will allude to that. But I'm talking about emotional clarity. How do we think as Christians? How do we feel as Christians, with all the bad news that you encounter on your news feeds, how do we interpret that in light of the good news? How's the, how does the good news begin to direct our mind and our hearts so that we can live with hope and the gospel truths in light of all the bad news that we get each and every day through the media and just through the course of this world? I'm not sure 1 Corinthians always talks, to the, uh, talks about emotional clarity, but I will say this. 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, Paul consistently points back to the gospel. And if you wanted to choose a unifying theme, it would, to be, it would be to see everything through the cross. For once, it is positive to be cross-eyed. It's to see everything through the cross. Don't laugh. But if that kept you awake, then I, it's done its job. You know, what we understand is that, is that in 1 Corinthians, the church in Corinth is dealing with cult, the cultural environment of the world that surrounded them and how culture was impacting their thinking and their feeling. And so what you see in 1 Corinthians is you see all the problems that we face today you see problems like spiritual immaturity. You see instability. You see division among Christians or professing Christians. You see jealousy, envy, lawsuits. You see marital difficulties, relational strain, sexual immorality. You see the misuse of spiritual gifts. Yet amid all these problems, in every section of the epistle, the Apostle Paul keeps pointing back to the cross of Christ, and the gospel as the answer. You know, we see today that mental illness as it is at an all-time high in and outside of the church. You read about pastors leaving their churches. You, you read about suicide. You read about and hear about loneliness becoming a growing problem, a great issue, especially among the younger generations. You see relationships being strained under new pressures. You see churches and organizations making rash decisions because of COVID. People not knowing what the future is and not knowing what to do. So people leaving churches, people leaving the faith, and yes, pastors leaving their post. People need the grace and the peace of Christ that 1 Corinthians talks about. Yeah, what does it mean 
to live in light of grace and peace. Beloved, if I ask you today, whether you're watching at home or sitting here with us or in the courtyard, do you have the grace and peace of Christ? You know, I stopped using this term called biblical worldview because biblical, whatever you want to think is biblical, people say biblical worldview. And biblical worldview often talks about what you know, knowledge. Some people see a conservative political viewpoint as a biblical worldview. And there are biblical principles there. Some people will say a left-leaning, more capital S, not biblical justice, but a capital S social justice political movement is biblical. Others will say everything in between is biblical. Everyone wants to say, this is what I know. But I will ask you this. We can know a lot about the Bible, but how are our relationships? How's our emotions? No health. You know a lot, but how are you thinking and feeling? Are you, how are you processing anger? How are you processing information? How are you dealing with stress and anxiety? It's different. So I started to use the term Christ-centered worldview. Let's take that knowledge and let's apply it through the hermeneutic of Christ. Because only Christ offers grace and peace. It's one thing to have biblical knowledge. But the wisdom that Paul talks about, the wisdom that is foolishness to the world, but wisdom unto those who believe, is when you take the Old Testament knowledge and apply it through Christ and the gospel. Beloved, that's what I want to do with you every week. That's what we're going to do as pastors with 1 Corinthians. In our thinking, in our feeling, in our thoughts, in our emotions, how do we interpret all of these things in light of what is foolishness to the world, but wisdom to those who believe, which is God's elect? How do we understand the gospel? So today, I've entitled our sermon, Called to be Saints. Beloved, we are not called to be Republicans. We are not called to be Democrats. We are not called to be wise in this world. We are not called to have an answer to COVID-19. We are not called to have an economic solution in light of the unknown. We are not called to be prophets of the unknown. We are not called to make decisions for 2022 when we have no idea. We are called to be saints. And saints means that we are imperfect sinners who still sin, yet in the eyes of God, we are sanctified in process of being made Christ-like. And that is our hope. We are called to be Christians, to be Christ followers. We are set apart from this world, not to be aliens to this world, not to be offensive to this world unnecessarily, though the gospel is offensive in of in 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 and of itself. But we are called to be a missional witness of salt and light. And the only way we, we are going to do this is to embrace a wisdom that ties back to our calling. If you have God's word, I want you to take it right now. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. The wind blew my pages to Romans and maybe the Holy Spirit is telling me your people need doctrine. But you know what? We'll go to 1 Corinthians today where it's a balance of doctrine and practice. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to read to you verses 1 to 3, and as I read it, I want you to ask yourself in your heart, do you have grace, 
Do you have peace? Are your conversations filled with grace? Are your emotions filled with grace or anger and frustration and anxiety? Do you have peace with God or do you just know about the peace of the gospel? Let me read you verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing we see is Paul. If you want to memorize the Bible, every letter that Paul writes starts with Paul. You've just memorized a piece of the Bible. Every single letter, he, he introduces himself. Paul, that's my name. That's, that's who's writing. That's how they introduce themselves in the epistles. Notice that he says, called by the will of God. He understands his calling. He understands his identity. He understands that what he is called to do. He's not called to meddle in civilian affairs or to be a politician. He's not called to be a king. There's already Caesar. He is called to be an ambassador of the king who sent him. He is called by the will of God, not by the will of man. Not by persuasion of philosophy or secular theory. His understanding of this world is not motivated by whatever the world wants you to see about gender, race, and political identity. His identity is set in Christ. Sometimes, people, we don't know what we're supposed to do or who we're supposed to be or how we're supposed to think because we forget about our identity. We have lost a sense of our calling. Paul says, called by the will of God to be an apostle. What does apostle mean? Apostle simply means sent one. But here he's talking about his office. I want you to consider some things that why we would do this. If I came and introduced myself to you as Reverend Doctor, you would say, man, that's so arrogant. Why would you go around introducing yourself as Reverend Doctor? Doctor. Well, I'm ordained and I have a doctor of ministry, Reverend Doctor. But if I were to speak at a conference and someone were to introduce me that way, like not you guys who actually know me, but people who have no idea who I am, and they're thinking, why is this Laker fan preaching to us? Right? They might introduce me with some credentials. Same way in your professional fields. Why would they introduce you in a certain way? Why? Right? Why did Paul have to say apostle? If you read 2 Corinthians, you will know that people question Paul. People are like, who are you, Paul? You aren't one of the 12. You weren't one of the original disciples. Weren't you the guy that was trying to kill us? Weren't you the guy that was throwing Christians in prison? Why should we listen to you? And if you know some of church history, you know that Paul wasn't a person of great stature physically. And he actually wasn't eloquent in his speech. He, he would stumble and stutter. He wasn't like Apollos that you're going to hear about. Apollos, who some believe wrote the letter of Hebrews. You know, Apollos was very eloquent, both in his knowledge and his preaching and his presentation and probably in his writing. And Paul didn't have this type of speech. He wasn't as attractive or charismatic as some of the false teachers. So people were consistently accusing him of being a false apostle. So Paul... In the same way where you would go to a conference and they might introduce a speaker that you don't know by puffing him up, not to make him 
look more, you know, come off more arrogant, but to just to say, this guy is authorized to speak to you. Right? And Paul has to do it himself. He says, Paul, I'm called by the will of God to be a sent one, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, none of us today are called to be apostles in the same way. Though there is a, some believe, a spiritual gift of a trailblazing, not the ones from Portland, but the trailblazing type of church planters, right? The, 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 the type of, of entrepreneurial missional gift of leadership. Some might call that a spiritual gift, but this is different. He's talking about a specific office given to him, and this is why he was not shaken. He knew his calling even when everybody was questioning his calling because he knew who had called him. Do you know, beloved, who has called you today to be a saint and to live, again, not by how the world wants you to believe and think, let me speak to application right here. Just right even, we didn't even finish verse 1. You understand that the media on both sides wants to make you angry on social media or on the news. They want to evoke a, an emotional response. It's like that siren. They want you to feel like everything is an emergency. The political left wants you to believe that if the current president remains president, that the world's going to fall apart. And that if you vote for him, that you might be a racist and not care about justice. I know plenty of Christians who painfully might vote for this guy, but they are not racist, and they, they do a lot of work for justice. And that's the message coming from the left. It's, it's characterizing certain people as evil. And they want you as a Christian to think that way. Now, the right is just as wrong. The secular conservative media is telling you, hey, if you vote for the other guy, guess what? You're a socialist, you're a Marxist, and you hate America. And I know plenty of people who, because of their conscience and because of how they are troubled about certain things, they might vote a certain way. But I know them personally, I know they love Jesus, and they have done more work for the poor and for cases of reconciliation than any other person you would know. And so what the world wants to tell you is not where most Americans are. Somewhere struggling in the middle. But the more you read from one side, it doesn't it make you angry? So if you hate one side, the more you hear from the media, it's shaping your identity and it's telling you you're called to fight for the left. While the other side is saying you're called to fight for the right. And what I want to say to you this morning is that, yes, we should have prayerful concern. But if you're fighting with your family members because of this, look what the enemy is doing to the church. Do you know who your king is? Is your king not Jesus Christ, beloved? Who is your king? Who has called you? By sovereign election to find grace and peace in the gospel. It is only the gospel that can change society because you can change structures. But the problem is with the individual sinners. And as long as you have sinners in this world, we cannot expect the non-Christian world to act like regenerate people. And when they don't act like regenerate people, we cannot hate them or become angry and frustrated. 
We must remember that if it wasn't for the grace of God who called us, we would not understand. It would be foolishness. The gospel would be foolishness to us. So when the government doesn't defend Christian rights, maybe they aren't regenerate. And what we need to do is, yes, we need to take our stand humbly in our proper position, but we need to remember our calling, that Christ is still sovereign. He knows what he's doing. Look what's happening with the church in East Asia that is completely underground. Is not Christ growing the persecuted church, even though the government is like Nero, persecuting and throwing Christians in prison? So Paul understands his calling as, a, as an apostle. And he says his brother, uh, our brother Sosthenes, who's this guy? I'll just give you really quickly. I don't think it's as important. But possibly this is the same guy mentioned in Acts 18, verse 17, who was the ruler of the synagogue in Corinth, but yet was converted to Christ during Paul's time. Some believe that he became a secretary in some sense for Paul and helping to write down scribally some of the letter. We're not sure if that's true or not. We don't know too much about his identity, but Paul's never alone. He always gives credit to his co-laborers. But that's the first point, is Paul was called, by, called and sent by Christ. And if more of our Christian leaders remembered their calling, they would not be swayed by the world. And instead of giving political information to their people and causing more anger and division, they would be feeding them the word of God. And I believe that's what God's flock needs to unite us during this time. When there's already enough turmoil in our families and in this world. Point number two. Point number two is that we are called to be sanctified and underlined together. Not as individuals. There is a sanctification that's progressive that Romans talks about that's not in this passage. Progressive sanctification is a reformed doctrine that says once you're saved and you're positionally in Christ, that the Holy Spirit continues to complete the good work that is in you until the day of Christ Jesus. The Greek here is talking about a positional sanctification that belongs to every believer once they are called and converted unto Christ. Called to be sanctified together in Christ. Look at verse 2 where we see this. To the church of God. He's talking about people who have been called out. Ecclesia. People who have been elected and called out of this world to be the church. To those sanctified, past tense, you understand that this is, this is not talking about uh, a, a process that is going to happen, right? But this is something that is, in some sense, a completed work that you will see. Called to be sanctified, right? And so there's an understanding that once you're justified and you're declared righteous, that you're also sanctified, meaning the, the Lord knows that we are sinners and we still struggle with sin, but in the position of Christ, you are saints. One pastor says 1 Corinthians is the good news for bad Christians <laughs> because of how sinful the Corinthians are. How true is that? That even though Paul is going to spend this book confronting them, for their sin and their division and their sexual immorality, that he still greets them as saints, reminding them, this is who you are. You don't have to be polluted 
by the sins of this world and cultural influence because you have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he appeals to them not as the world would appeal to you. He appeals to them as Christians to think differently, to feel differently, to interpret things and not become anxious, but to have the peace of Christ, called to be saints. And then he says, these saints, together we call on the name of our Lord. This is an Old Testament expression of worship of Yahweh, God of Israel. The Old Testament saints called on the name of Yahweh. And we know that the name of the Lord for us is the Lord Jesus Christ. They're called to be saints, not as individuals, but together with all those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. People have asked me, Pastor, do you feel persecuted? I say I worry about censorship coming. But when I look at the saints together in East Asia, in Muslim countries, and I look at that we are able to gather unlimited numbers in a parking lot, I say, no, I don't feel like we're persecuted. I would like to be inside. I would like to be close together. I would like for COVID to be over. But I don't think COVID is a political scheme. I think it's a real disease where people have lost their lives. Now, is it overblown at times? Of course. You put anything in this world, and there's going to be some political gain, some financial gain that's put into that. But do I feel persecuted? No. Look at us. And we can freely live stream this online. Do you know in East Asia they are not allowed to stream the gospel to record the gospel like that would be illegal. They would be thrown in prison. Understand, saints, where we're coming from. We are saints together. So when people say, Pastor, how do you view COVID? I said, look at the color of my skin. I view COVID globally. There are entire Asian countries who believe it's a real disease. And there are few American politicians that say COVID don't exist. Of course, I'm going to consider it globally with the saints together in every place. We are not the only nation with the church impacted. I've waited four weeks to tell you this. I haven't preached to you all September. Pastor, are we persecuted? Beloved, we are not persecuted. I wish we can go inside, but we will go inside once the order allows us to. Orange County is already going inside at 25%. But I'm going to ask you this, when we go inside at 25 or 50%, would you be willing to come to two services? Some of you coming at a later or earlier time. Would the ushers worship team be able to go twice? I'm ready to preach twice. When we when we're limited to 75 indoors. You see, we need to be ready because of our calling. And point number 3, we are called through grace and peace from Christ. Look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that it says grace to you and peace from God. And once again, I will ask how many of you guys have grace and peace this morning. I think the reminder here is that grace and peace can only come 
when we acknowledge that Christ is Lord and not political theory or the landscape of society. Peace flows out of God's grace to those who believe. I'm going to give you the big idea, and I want to talk about how to process emotional clarity. The big idea this morning is that Christ calls sinners to be saints together through his sanctifying grace and peace. Christ calls sinners to be saints together through his sanctifying grace and peace. Let me make sure it's not 2 p.m. And let me see, 11.37, we're good on time because my team is not playing till 4.30. So I want to talk about, for the next four hours, how to experience peace from God. Just kidding. Okay, how to experience peace from God. This passage here talks about peace and grace that comes to our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to be honest with yourself before God, and I want you to speak before God and tell Him, have you experienced His peace emotionally? There are some of you who are dealing with the fear of disease, some of you are feeling the feelings of isolation and loneliness. Others of you have hit your lockdown limit. Some of you are dealing with anger over politics. Once again, please do not let the left or right impact your emotional health. Let Christ be the Lord. Many Christian leaders have said that our emotions are like a check engine light. It's just a warning that something needs to be checked. Uh, a pastor brother of mine, Tim St. John, uh, has used this illustration often. That Think of the check engine light. When the check engine light goes on in your car, it doesn't mean that your car is broke. It might break down, but it doesn't mean that your car is going to blow up. Right? When the check engine light comes on, it's say, it's, what is it saying? It's saying, slow down, pull it aside, look under the hood. My mechanic is in another state now. Derek, you were, the, you were my friend who knew a thing or two about cars. And I don't know a thing about cars, so you don't have to look at it yourself. You could bring it to someone who knows how to look at it. Spiritually, we might call that counseling. That's the check engine light. When you begin to feel that depression, that anxiety, those bad thoughts, when, when your social media feeds are coming in and you start to get consistently angry, when your relationships are being strained, when your marriage is not healthy, when you realize you're yelling at your kids, that's a check engine light telling you, slow down, pull aside, look under the hood of your heart, let God look at it. You might know what to do. You might say, oh yeah, I remember. Or you might say, I'm going to call my community group, my small group, and I'm going to bring three mechanics over and we're going to look at this together. Or you might bring it over to someone who you can trust and say, hey, I really don't know what's going on with my car. Can you look at it? Can you give me a fair recommendation of what I need to do? Our emotions are a check engine light. And that's why I felt as your pastor, I needed to talk to you today 
Some of you needed to hear it as encouragement. Some of you needed to hear it as rebuke. Know that I love you. And this has been on my heart. When I hear that some of you are fighting with your parents or parents fighting with your kids over who to vote for, that breaks my heart. I care about you. I care about you deeply. I think we should have concern and we can have these conversations. But please, do not let something that's going to change every four years or again that's happening in a secular realm impact something that's sacred, which is the Christian values of your family. When I see Christians tearing each other apart, when I see that when the president got sick, that people just were laughing and celebrating. On the other hand, when I see that someone from the other party, something happened to them, that a, that a justice passed away. And yeah, I don't agree with her politics, but when I saw Christians celebrating, having no empathy, we don't know if she has grandchildren who are believers. We just don't know that. I felt like I need to speak to the church. Maybe not our church, but I need to speak to the church and say, beloved, we can have our convictions, but can we be charitable? So some of you guys needed to hear that as a, as a rebuke because I love you. And I don't want to see your hearts torn apart by something that's so senseless. Beloved, if your emotions are impacted by your news feed, get off social media. Turn it off. Talk to your family. Turn it off. Just turn it off. We have no control, at least in the state of California, over who's going to be president. Turn it off. Stop watching Fox. Stop watching CNN. Turn it off. And talk to your family. Sit down and let's act like people who have been called by Christ. Others of you, you don't care about the political realm too much, and maybe you should care a little bit. Start reading. Start understanding why Satan is able to use things that people care about to make people so angry and divided to the point where pastors have completely turned their entire platform into politics and are no longer preaching the gospel. Maybe you need to read a little more and think about why these things are of issue. Others of you, you're worried about getting sick. And I want to ask, have you processed? Here's how you process your emotions. I want you to identify your emotions. Go home today and go before the Lord and talk to your family and say, hey, have I been angry? My wife's good at telling me this. And I've confessed her that, that these two weeks, I've been struggling at times with just being angry. I read about sex trafficking and how people are just kidnapping children now because the amusement parks are closed, the hotels are closed, and they don't have places to go to, so they just go to Target and start cornering women and start kidnapping their kids. And I started to hate people. <laughs> and I said, and I, I, I said, hey, I'm going to call my friend John Ng and say, you know, maybe it's time that we uh, purchase uh, some protection. <sighs> call the firearm. And someone reminded me, Hanley, you might have to go to Arizona to do that. My heart began to not trust people. I was at the park the, uh, the other day. I saw some guy just walking around. I'm like, why is he walking around? Like, he's too close to children. 
He's just walking back and forth, looking at children. He's probably helped fine. He was just a young man. I said, where's my weapon? I don't have one. That's the truth. Something wrong with my heart. What's happening is society is impacting me. And it's going to impact you. Identify your emotions. Is it anger? Is it fear? Write it down. Is it grief? Some of you have not identified that you're dealing with grief. You know, COVID's been a long time. You haven't been able to see some of your family members. You haven't been able to ha have church the same way. And you thought that it would be over. Pastors are at the forefront of this depression. They thought, we thought that by Easter we would be back together inside. Fill up the baptism tank, we're back. Easter came along, nothing. July 15 came along, governor said you can't go inside. Some pastors didn't know what to do. They've left their churches. They've gone into depression. We, I understand this personally. Disappointment. Some pastors, they look at their offering budget. They're like, man, how are we going to survive? Other churches, people have left the faith. People have stopped watching online. They are depressed, thinking their church people are never going to come back. Have we dealt with the loss? You have to treat these things like losing a loved one. Because if you don't identify the proper emotion, you'll never get to the root. And you have to treat it like your loved one has died. The fact that you can't see your small group face to face and embrace each other and have food together. And it's been too long. But once you start realizing that something or someone that you love has in a sense symbolically died, then you can go and apply the gospel. It's a check engine light. Identify your emotions. Second, examine your emotions. Do you have the right to be angry? Do you have the right to be depressed? Is it God glorified? Sometimes you're like, yes, I lost my dad through COVID. Yes, you have the right to just grieve other times it's like maybe I, i'm just a little too worried i was always anxious before and now i'm overly anxious i was always cynical before now i don't trust anybody i was always a little suspicious of people now man i'm watching my back every single minute carrying pepper spray in my pocket when i go and visit my grandchildren <laughs> you have to examine yourself are your emotions healthy? Are they reasonable? Examine and evaluate them. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. The best way to evaluate, this is what I did. I looked at, I said, look, what's the worst case scenario? If this person becomes president, are the churches all going to lose our religious freedom? And is the moral fabric of the church going to fall apart? And I just traced it, worst case scenario. And if that guy dies and the vice president becomes someone who is the most uh, pro-abortion person that we might know, you know, uh, am I ever going to be able to preach on life again without being sued? Right? So I'm just going worst case scenario. I'm saying, okay, so, so what if this happens? So what? And then at the end I said, okay, Jesus is still king. Jesus is still Lord. He called me. And he's going to call me to preach. 
He called our church. We're still going to be the church. Our people are resilient. Your church is an awesome church. Churches stand on the firm faith of Christ and the Spirit's power. And it just took me through and I said, you know what? I shouldn't be angry. I shouldn't be worried. I shouldn't be anxious. Just trust God and do my part. Vote how I want to vote, how I feel the Bible leads me to vote. And not become angry. Not post things or become cynical. That's what I'm talking about. Everything that you read, everything that you consume, identify the emotion that it's causing. Evaluate and examine, is this a godly emotion or is it a sinful emotion? And then bring it before the Lord. And if Christ is still king, then act upon that. Let me read it to you again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ is Lord over our hearts, our emotions, our thinking, and our feeling are realigned. I want to say much more. I'm going to have to save it for next week. Let me pray for you. We love you more than you know. Father, we as pastors, we love our people so much. Even though we as pastors were not perfect. And we confess before you that there are days where Pastor Albert and I are afraid. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know when we'll be able to go back in. And then there's times where we're confident. There's times where PT and I, we, we look at it. We're so thankful for our groups. And then we hear news about families in conflict, people sick, people passing away. And our hearts are heavy. We, we hear about people in depression young adults discouraged and our hearts are burdened. Father, we know that preaching doesn't fix things. You do. Lord, I pray that this morning that our church would surrender with joy to Christ, our King, our Counselor, our Lord. And because of our surrender to Christ, that you would bring redemptive work and that you would give our pastors and our leaders constant humility and wisdom that we can come before you and say, you lead us, Lord. You are the king. We understand where our people are at. We also understand where you want to take us. And as long as you're king, we know where we need to go. We go to your word. We point people back to your son and we prepare to go how you lead. Father, we are thankful for the resilience of our church. We're thankful for our community. Lord, the greatest gift, being able to see our people here, even though it's difficult. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to build up the body here. Thankful for the church. We want to pray for the gospel to be proclaimed and Christ to be exalted in our hearts, in our homes in our communities, in our world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.